Some people say I'm not a worshiper. I don't believe in God, so I don't worship. But the truth is that everyone, everywhere, is unceasingly worshiping. You can no more stop worshiping than you can stop breathing. Worship is the constant state of the human heart as we pour out our lives towards someone or something. We all worship. The only question is, what do you worship? It is the outpouring of all that you are into that which you hold in highest regard. This series is a study in glory. Only Jesus is worthy. Our posture in His presence. Oh man, I'm grateful for our uh, Rise Worship team. They, they have about 30 people on that team that, that uh, on a regular basis are giving up of their time to use their gifts to lead us in worship. And so we wanted to pull the curtain back a little bit and have them share a little bit of their heart and vision um, and, and you know, where they're going and what it looks like. And I, I just think it's wonderful as we're in this series uh, on Worthy, looking at what does it look like to worship. And, and so a lot of the discussion we've been having and teaching we've been having has been centered around Sundays and what does it look like for us to be worshipers? Last week, we talked a little bit about the idea of becoming aware of God's presence. And so I, I want to look at it more generally it, when we're talking about worship, of, of worship throughout the Monday through Friday, throughout the week. So you think about a typical, think about a typical uh, 24-hour time period, 24-hour day. What, what, what do you spend your time doing, okay? And the average person sleeps about eight hours. Now, there's some of you guys in this room, right? Okay, raise your hand if you're like, I can actually function pretty well off six hours and uh, pretty regularly. Yeah, okay. You have a superpower. You realize that, right? If you, if you only sleep six hours a day, that is an additional 700 plus hours a year. That's an extra 30.4 days that you have in a year. You're operating on a 13th month schedule. You're incredible. Like, I am so jealous of you. Now, there's others who aren't on the eight-hour spectrum. They're on the other end. They're, they, they, you sleep like 10-ish hours a night, and you're good on that, and then you are my spirit animal. I wish I was you, right? I, you're still waking up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or participate, but like, like we, we all are jealous of you. But the average person uh, sleeps about eight hours a day, and then you think about work, okay? And when I say 12 hours of work, I don't necessarily mean just career or your employment, but also you think about the time you spend cooking dinner, cleaning, running errands, mowing the lawn, commuting, exercising, all working on your car, filling it up, but whatever it is, like the, these, no, this is work execution. This is what I spend my time, you know, on a typical day, like the, the raising kids, whatever it may be. And so that, that is the primary chunk. And then at the end, we have about four hours left over. And what do we do with those four hours? That's for Netflix, right? You know, you, fi- you figure out, your, or your screen time of choice. Just pull up your screen time app, and it'll let you know what your four hours is spent doing, and then go delete those apps, right? Or, you know, th- th- this is the time that we have for church. This is the time we have for community and connection and prayer and, and fellowship and, and going out and being in the wilderness and, and having fun. Yet so much of our, uh, our teaching on the Christian life, we actually spend focused on those four hours, on, on, on the meantime or, or the other time. I want, to, I want to have a theology of work. And so that's what we're going to talk about 
today is we're going to talk about this idea of work as, as worship. But, but to start out, I actually want to talk about five deceptions that we've begun to believe about work. Um, and I say the word deceptions because they're not necessarily lies. Um, they're, they're, there's hints of truth, but we start to believe them holistically, and we've become deceived by them. Uh, number one is uh, this idea of we work to live, we don't live to work, right? This is why we all sing Journey for Karaoke, because we're all working for the weekend, right? We, we have this mindset of, like, I just need to get through my day, and then I can go home and live. Or I need to get through my week, and then I can go home and live. Or I'm going to work from ages 20 to 65, you know, just the 45 prime years of my life, and then I'll retire. But, but that middle ground is, is miserable. Like, I think this is a deception, this idea of... No, that, that we, uh, we need to understand we're actually created to work. Second is, uh, th- this is, this is great. We love this one. We love tweeting and ins- Instagramming this one. We are a, you are a human being, not a human doing. You, you seen that? Like, you're, you're a human, you're like, I'm not a human doing. I'm a human being. Like, I, what I do doesn't, you know, define me. And so, you know, we, and, but the problem is, like, we don't go around asking people, the question, like, what do we ask them? We, we ask, like, so what do you do? Or tell me about your family. Tell me about your kids. Uh, we don't walk up and, like, hey, tell me about your essence. Tell me about the insides of your heart and your soul. Like, like maybe on the third date, like, you, you get, you know, you get there. But, but, but I actually like, I love this quote. It says, it's not who you are on the inside. It's what we do that defines us. Now, take it with a grain of salt, because it's actually Batman who said that, okay, and, and Batman begins. And so, you know, maybe it's not gospel truth there, but we're somewhere in between this idea of like, no, like, what you do defines you, and what you do has nothing to do with defining you. But, but, but I think we've been deceived by these concepts. Third is there's a separation of sacred and secular. We, we, we isolate the two. We've created this, this false separation between the two. I was preaching at a church one time, and my buddy Jay came with me, and, and uh, they had that interaction time where, like, okay, now stand up and greet a neighbor. The thing we, we don't do, because I hate it, and, uh, you know, you meet the same person for three years in a row on every Sunday, like, and you, you don't actually grow deeper, and so he's having this conversation, and this lady goes, so what do you do for work? Are you in the ministry, or are you in the secular world? And she just had, like, such, like, and he, and he was, he was, like, in my head, I was, like, I work for Comcast. I literally install internet and TV. Like, should I just tell her I don't put the naughty channels on people's, like, TV? She's gonna hate me, like, but we, we, we have this separation of the sacred and the secular, or here's another one. This, this is new. You'll hear more and more about it. Maybe you've heard of it. The FIRE, F-I-R-E, Financially independent, retire early. This, this is what it's. This is that concept that's being pushed right now. No, no, no. You need to move towards financial independence so you can retire early. And so you get your side hustle, you get your passive income, and you grow and you grow and you grow and you grow that so that by the time you're 31, you can limit all your expenses and you can sell your house, and you can like move into a van and go like live down by the river, right? This is literally like, the, what do you want to do? Like, I just, you know, I want to, you know, be financially independent and retire early, and I want to live in a van down by the river. Now, like, that sounds great, like, for like 10 days. And then you're like, I live in a van down by the river. Like, I feel like I've made for more, right? And, and so all of this pushes us and points to this fifth one, this idea that, that work is the curse, that we act like our jobs, our work, our toil is something that happened after the fall. 
And, and if I just didn't have to work, if I could just not work, then I would have a different level of, of, of joy. My, my hope today is that as we look through the scriptures, we experience a mindset shift. That, that today is a little bit of a paradigm shift for how we think about work, that we would think biblically, and that we would see, see the joy and the goodness that God has created it. And, and so I want to look at this idea of work as worship. Um, all these different areas of our lives that we worship, work is actually one of them. So let's look at Genesis 1, starting in verse 26 through 28. You can grab a Bible and follow along, or I'm going to put the scriptures up on the screen. You can follow along. But this is the creation account when, when God creates humanity. And it says, then God said, let us make man, the term there being mankind or human beings, in our image after our likeness. So I'm going to make men and women, I'm going to create them in my image. They're going to bear my qualities. They're going to reflect me. And how are they going to do that? And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over the earth, and, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That word dominion, it's, it's, it's uh, king language. It's, it means to rule. It, a king has his dominion. A queen has her dominion. This is the language saying, um, we're going to create human beings in our image, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to create them in our image, and then they're going to rule. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what do we when we're talking about this idea of work as worship, the first thing we need to understand about work is work is a blessing. This is, this is actually the language here. It says that God blessed them. And then what is his blessing? He lays it out. It's to be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth and subdue it. When we look at this idea of a blessing in Genesis, it's this weighty, strong thing. It's a gift that God has bestowed upon us that we get to participate in his creation. We get to participate by, by, by filling the earth. We get to participate by, by ruling. This is what theologians would call the cultural mandate. God has given us this cultural mandate, and there's two primary functions of humanity in general, and then when you look at the male-female, you, you look at man and woman in marriage together. There's two of these primary functions. One is to fill the earth. That's to have and raise kids to be fruitful and multiply. Like, you look at this church, you go in the, in the hallway, in the lobby, in, in between, you're like, man, this church is so biblical about that command. You guys are like rabbits, right? It's like some of you are like having litters of children. It's just crazy, like everywhere. Like, but we celebrate this. This is what God has said. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Like humanity was not a final product. It's a project that God allows us to participate in. And that's the first part of the cultural mandate. And as part of the blessing that God bestowed on us is the ability to fill the earth. But the second is that we would have dominion, that we would rule, that we would subdue, that we would garden in God's image in the way that he does, that we would, that we would work. You guys, we get to partner with God in ruling that's, that's one of the blessings that God has bestowed on humanity. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general 
and people in particular thrive and flourish. That's what work is. You're taking raw material, and you think about any job in some way, shape, or form is taking raw material and reworking it so that it is for God's glory and others' good, that we are moving things forward. If you're a farmer, of course, you take the soil and the seed and you rearrange it and you water it into a crop that produces food for people to eat and enjoy. If you're a builder or you're in the trades in any way, shape, or form, you're taking these raw materials of tree and stone and, and, and you're bringing architectural design and engineering to it. And what, what you're ultimately producing out of this rawness is a home that someone can raise kids in and have friends over and make memories. There's weight to it. If you're a designer, you're taking shapes and color palettes and typefaces and you're rearranging them to something that communicates and connects and is just catchy and tasteful and brings about beauty. You are reflecting God's image. Before I planted this church, I, had a, I was a graphic designer and I built websites and the name of my company was Echo Designs and it came from this conversation that Tolkien and Lewis had about how we are all sub-creators. And in us is this echo of God that we want to be creative and we want to design and we want to shape and we want to move. That, that it's, it's within us. These are not shallow, secular things. This is the image of God bearing forth. This is the blessing of work that we would take raw materials and reshape it and remold it into something useful and beautiful. This is what, this is what I, like, I love going to restaurants or coffee shops. You have these, these chefs or these cooks that they take these raw ingredients. People will say, hey, there's food in the fridge. There's not food in the fridge. There's ingredients in the fridge, right? You're saying I need to go in there and take those ingredients and this raw material and like rework it and add flavor and, and temperature and, and this, this is the process. This is what work is. This is, but this is what we're called to and it's a blessing that we are creating and we're cultivating. I need us to understand that work is a blessing that has been bestowed upon us, not a curse that we've fallen under. This is before the fall. This is before sin ever entered the world. This is what we are created to do, that we get to be fruitful and multiply and partner with God in his beautiful, good creation. But work will be hard. We start to get this understanding that if there's any challenges we face, then, then this must not be the right job for me. There, the curse has brought about thorns and thistles. Uh, July 6, 2021 was a big day in my life um, because I'm a dad, and that was the day my son first mowed the lawn. <laughs> and I was like, this is incredible. Like, and what do I do? I teach him about the struggle I teach him about the sweat and the toil. I teach him that, yeah, when I mowed the lawn as a kid, like, first of all, we had a dog, okay? So you had all kinds of things to deal with there. Second of all, you, you had to pull this string and get it started and all this. He literally just presses a button and it just, like, goes. But I want him to learn hard work. Like, this was a moment. And there was a couple times where he, like, I mean, it looked like the worst haircut ever. Like, all these spots he missed. I'm like, all right, I'll go get those. And he's like, no, I want to get them. And I'm like, that's my, like, I was so proud. Like, he's learning hard work. And then that same day, what did I teach my daughter? Like, I taught my daughter, like, no, island vibes, girl. Like, you can see her brother in the background <laughs> pushing the lawnmower. 
And I, and I taught my daughter, find a man that will work hard for you so you can just sit and relax and enjoy life, right? I sent that picture. I sent that. I, I noticed the layers as you guys start to see all the different things happening, or, you know, right? I sent that picture to my sister, and she's like, I feel like this sums up our childhood. I was like, yes, it does. Yes, it does. This is our childhood. Now I'm passing on to the next generation. But we do need to understand that work will be hard. This is what Genesis 3, this is the curse that's laid out for Adam specifically. And if you notice the curse on Eve and the curse on Adam, they speak to those cultural mandates of having children, being fruitful and multiplying, and then ruling. And this is what he says to Adam, curses the ground because of you. And in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. We've reached this point where any challenge or hardship we face in our work, we begin to question our calling and looking at other career paths. Like, man, I don't know, I just had a rough, I got a rough email today. It was, it, you know, it was hard. It was, ch- you know, I, I was really sweaty. Like, that's work. There will be thorns and thistles. We need to walk in with a holistic understanding of these hardships. Now, I, I, I do think it's fair to make an aside here. Like, if you are working a job or a career that you hate and makes you miserable, life is too short. Life is too short to continue on that path. So make the investment. Seek the Lord in prayer. Seek wisdom. Work your butt off to to go down a different route. Because life is too short to say, ah, whatever, I'll bear with this for 45 years and then retire. Like, that, that, that's not what, we're, no, we, we, we should have meaning and significance and value in, into the work we do. But you have to be reminded that even though work is a blessing, we still have the shadow of the fall's curse upon it. And so there's going to be thorns and there's going to be thistles. You're going to have grouchy, angry customers and clients. Why? Because of the curse. You will have pain and frustration in raising children. Why? Because of the fall. You're going to bid a project, and then the price of lumber is going to double or triple after you've bid it. And, and why, you guys, why is that? It's because we are experiencing a broken world. You're going to have your Windows operating system update automatically before you get the chance to save that document. Why? Because Adam fell for the Macintosh, right? That's why. Like, like, this is the fall, this is the curse, and we have to understand these things. And in his book, Good to Great, uh, Jim Collins, he, he has this interview with this guy, Admiral James Stockdale. And, uh, and Admiral Stockdale spent several years as a prisoner of war, being repeatedly beat and tortured, but he made it all the way through. And, and so Collins, he's interviewing him for his book, and he's asking him this question, and he asks him this. He says, says, what was the difference between those who made it through and those who gave up? And, and Admiral Stockdale gives this quick response, and he talks about this thing called hopeful realism or a hope-filled realism. And he says, a lot of the guys, they told themselves unrealistically, no, I'm going to be home by Christmas. And so as Christmas after Christmas after Christmas came and went, they quickly gave up. But for those of us who prepared ourselves for the likelihood of a long and difficult captivity, yet we believed we would eventually triumph and be home with our families, those are the ones who survived. Those are the ones who made it through. Like, we need some hopeful realism about our work. So we need to understand it's a blessing 
but we also need to understand it's hard. And, and here's what I need you to see, is that sometimes it's actually the hard things that bring such significance. Like we actually, we have a church that is filled with a per- particular group of people that have made this commitment to participate in their work at deep personal sacrifice and suffering on their part. You know, you know what category of people that is? Like first responders, holy smokes. The police officers, firefighters, nurses, frontline workers, DHS workers. It's just incredible that you have said there is brokenness in our world and, and we are gonna be the ones that run towards it. Just even this last month, there's a, there's a police officer in our church that he's just gone through just the depths of things. About a month ago, uh, he showed up on the scene where a three-month-old baby uh, was being fed by their father, and the father fell asleep at night and fell asleep on the child, and he shows up on the scene and has to give CPR to this child, and this child, this child passes. And he then walks with this family who starts to da- walk down um, the, the road of relapsing because of the pain and suffering, and, and, and he's showing up, and he's saying, I'll, I'll meet you at the rehab facility, and he's walking with them. He's inviting them to church. I mean, he just enters into their brokenness. He didn't say, ah, this is hard. He says, I'm going to enter in. And then um, about eight or nine days ago, last Friday, a dear friend of his and coworker, somebody who he served together was, with, was killed in the line of duty. It puts some perspective on the things that we consider thorns and thistles, doesn't it? Right? Like, ah, we, that customer is so rude. Or, ah, the pressure of this deadline. Yet we have people in our community that say, no, we're gonna run, at the most pa- run towards the most painful, hard places. It's sometimes the hardship, the pain, the thorns, and the thistles that make our work so important. And so we need a hopeful realism about our work and to say, ah, like this is difficult, maybe I should switch careers, or this is hard, maybe this isn't how it's meant to be. Maybe what makes it hard is what makes it significant and important that you as a follower of Jesus participate in that. Um, we, we should have a sense of hope and excitement that God is gonna do the remarkable through our offering in the midst of brokenness. Because yes, sin and the curse entered the world, but you guys, so did Jesus. And, and, and what Jesus has done is, is through the gospel, Jesus has redeemed work. All things were broken. And, and so when Jesus, he came, he came to save sinners. He came that he would restore our broken relationship with our creator. But also, he came to restore all things. The gospel is the story of God redeeming and restoring all things through Jesus. Look in Colossians 1. It says, For in him, being Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Not some things, not certain particular things, but that he would offer reconciliation to all things and not just humanity, not just our relationship, but whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. What you need to understand is through the gospel, everything has hope. Through the gospel, everything has meaning because God took on flesh and blood 
He came and he entered our broken world and he took our brokenness upon himself at the cross. And in doing so, he has offered us healing and hope and redemption. That's what's so beautiful about the resurrection is it says, is sin, the curse, death does not get the final say. Jesus does. Resurrection does. Eternity does. And Jesus, he's ushering in the kingdom. This is this pivotal moment. This is why everything we do is built upon the gospel, including work, because even the gospel, it, it redeems even work. And through the gospel, we see that work is a partnership with God. Look at what Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, for we are God's co-workers. Some of your translations may say partners. Like if I read that, I would assume like, no, 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 it's supposed to say we are God's servants. We are God's slaves. We are God's employees. But it says we're his co-workers, meaning we're his partners. You are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, this is Paul, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one of us is to be careful how he builds on it. The, the language here is he's talking about how we all have different roles in moving forward the kingdom and moving forward the gospel in different ways, but, but, but God has invited us in to partner with it. How different would our mindset be if we stopped looking at ourselves as employees and actually looked at ourselves as partners. What's the difference between an employee and a partner? Ownership, right? So my, my first job ever, I was about 14, 15 years old, and I worked in an Orange Julius at a mall. Now, what a mall is, it's like an ancient version of Amazon, where you have to go to each separate department of Amazon, and you have to buy your own stuff using these paper transaction notes, and then you put it in bags, and then you have to deliver it to your own house, right? There's no prime. It, it was completely archaic, and people are wandering around this giant indoor air-conditioned mall, and they're like, man, I'm just expending a lot of energy. You know what I need? I need nachos. Or I need a chili dog and like a giant 20-ounce thing of like fruit blended up with sugar. Like that, and thus the Orange Julius, right? And so I was not just an employee. I was the son of the owners. So I was lower than an employee, right? I was worse than an employee because I didn't care if I got fired. Like I was just like, whatever, that's, this is what they're tell, telling me to do. And so like I literally, my, my, my memories of working there were like convincing all the other employees, which are just a bunch of teenagers, uh, having like jalapeno eating contests. Or I would teach them if, if we had the ice that's like the Sonic ice, you know what I'm talking about? And if you crushed it up really good and then put Sprite over the top, it'd be like a Sprite icy. Like the, this is what I, this is how I would spend my time, right? Because I was lower than an employee. But imagine like if when I turned 20 or 25 or 30, my parents came to me and were like, you know what? You're no longer an employee. You're a partner. You have ownership stake now. Like my mindset would shift, wouldn't it? It would no longer be, I'd be like, stop eating all the jalapenos, right? <laughs> right? Like I would care in a different way because now I have investment. Now there's, this is God's language about bringing the kingdom. He's not saying, hey, hey, I've commanded that you go do this. You're my employee. He's saying, no, I'm inviting you into a partnership where we together partner together and bringing the kingdom here to earth. This is what it looks like. Second, through the gospel is work is how we bring the kingdom to, work, to, to earth. Tim Keller 
writes. He says, Christian salvation is not us leaving this awful world and going to heaven. Christian salvation is heaven coming down into this material world to cleanse it, to get rid of all hunger, all sickness, all disease, all death, all injustice. Jesus' coming is not the end of the world. It's the beginning of the world. Man, isn't that beautiful? Like, do you believe that? This is what this partnership is, is, is we are called to live in such a way, to do our jobs in such a way that people get a glimpse of a redeemed, renewed, restored kingdom. There, there's a restaurant that, that I think exemplifies this in such a powerful way. Um, it, it's one of my favorite fancy restaurants to go to. I went this, there this week. It's called Chic Filet. I don't know if you've uh, been there. It's like one of those high-end spots. And so I go and I, I order my food and uh, I'm sitting there and I'm waiting for my food. And, th- and then a, a group of individuals um, from a particular, I, I could tell they're from a particular re- religion uh, based off of how they were dressed and their badges and their helmets. They all walk in together. And, uh, and so for some reason, it, it, just in my head in that moment, I was like, they're all getting saved like, by Jesus right now. Like they're in Chick-fil-A. Like this is Christian chicken. You can't help it, right? You know, so they walk in. And so what do I do? I, so I text Nolan. Well, uh, you know, our other pastor. And, uh, and so I tell him, like, hey, this group just walked in to a Chick-fil-A, and I just say, the spirit is moving, bro, revival. Like he, and he immediately, he knows what I'm talking about, right? Because he's had it before. He knows, he, and he responds, he knows that one bite awakens you to an orthodox gospel. It does. This is, this is what happens, right? And everybody's wondering about, what is this sauce? It's so, the, the, this ingredient in this special sauce, what is And I just remind him, their secret ingredient, it's irresistible grace. You can't say no. The Holy Spirit just moves in you when you have this chicken. And it reminds me of a little predestination in every bite, baby. That's how, that's how it works. And I confessed to him that, 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 I, that, that when I had their spicy chicken deluxe, it made me a Calvinist. Like, I just immediately, like, I was like, I can't, like, I'm, no more free will. It's done. I just have to, like, I'm, I'm sold on it. And, and, he, and so he replies, oh, bro, you just had hand over your free will at the window. That's the drive-thru. That's, that's, that's Chick-fil-A. If you ever wondered, what pastors text about it's this kind of stuff yeah just so you know i did not ask him if i could if i could share that screenshot that just happened so be careful if you ever text me it might be on a giant screen (laughs) and a podcast but why but like why are we having this conversation right it's not because they put like bible verses on their you know on their cups it's not because they're closed on Sunday and people are like all of a sudden like, wow, I just, I got saved because they're closed on Sunday. No, it's because their chicken is so amazing. It's like a taste of the kingdom, am I right? Like, like this is what life should be. Like, you guys all want to go there right now. It's closed, yeah. Kanye reminded you, it's closed. You cannot go on Sundays, right? But, but these are these moments. This is what it means to be a bearer of the kingdom, that we should tile in such a way, that we should do carpentry in such a way, that we should raise kids or teach or work or, or, or work with our hands or garden, whatever it is, in such a way that points to a God who is glorious and great and made us in his image and a creation that is worthy of our hard work so they can experience and taste the kingdom. Whatever it is, if you cook, if you build, if you design, if you create, if you write, if you serve, if you raise kids, if you teach, if you plan, if you invest, do it in a way that points to the kingdom. When you work, work with all your heart as if working for God 
not for men, not for man's approval, but people would experience, man, like we're actually bringing the kingdom. I, I hope you can see that, that we are called to bring the kingdom. In his book, Garden City, uh, John Mark Comer, which, by the way, if you're like wrestling through this idea of work and calling and purpose, I, I really do, I've read a lot of books on it. I think this is the best one. And this is from a guy right here in Portland. And uh, he, he writes this, he says, we're, we're called to a very specific kind of work, to make a garden-like world where image bearers can flourish and thrive, where people can experience and enjoy God's generous love, a kingdom where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, where the glass wall between earth and heaven is so thin and clear and translucent that you don't even remember it's there. That's the kind of work we're called to. And that's the kind of work that's only possible through the gospel, that it would be redemptive work. And so how do we work? What does it mean to be a Christian at work? It doesn't mean you throw like an ichthus on the outside of your logo, or you put a verse on something, it means you build a really good product. It means you bring the kingdom to earth in the way that you work. Because through the gospel, you guys work is worship. It's worship. We talk about singing, we talk about prayer, we talk about lifting our hands, we talk about sitting, we talk about all these different things. If you have a question, I'll talk to you afterwards. But, but work, work is worship, okay? And all of life, it points to this idea of we have a vertical relationship, and, but we also have a horizontal relationship. And the way that we live these things, it points out glory and honor to God. And it's a way that we actually worship and we declare his goodness and his grace and his mercy. And so here's, here's what I want to ask of you. Here's my hope and my call for you is that when you go to work tomorrow, you would remember that you're not just an employee with a job to execute. You're a partner with God. You're taking the human project forward. You're not just a mom or dad making meals, cleaning messes, or reading a story before bed. You're living up to God's call on your life to be fruitful and increase in number. It's part of the blessing that he's given. You're not just a tradesman working long, hard hours in the heat of summer to build a house. You're cultivating the earth. You're drawing out its potential. You're reshaping the world into an environment for people to live as God intended. You're not just a teacher preparing for class, a barista pulling shots, a nurse giving shots, a designer working on a rebrand, or a technician solving problems, or an entrepreneur working out some crazy idea. You are God's partner. You're his coworker. You are an heir to the kingdom, and you have a responsibility and a role to bring the kingdom of God here to earth. Like, so show up on Monday. Wake up with different fervor and purpose and fire. No, there's gonna be hard moments. There's gonna be thorns and there's gonna be thistles. There's gonna be things that, moments you just wanna be done and quit, but there's purpose in what you're doing. You're reflecting the image of God that he has put within you. And you know what you're doing? You're saying he's worthy of your best, and you're worshiping him by living out your calling. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you would call us to be partners with you of this endeavor you call creation, 
Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see our daily lives in a different way. Lord, I pray for the individuals here who are feeling purposeless in their work today, who are feeling a tug and a pull and a call and, and, and are just tired of it. Lord, for some of them, I ask that you would give them a renewed fervor and purpose and mission in their everyday life, that they would see meaning in what seems meaningless. They would see purpose in what seems purposeless. And Lord, there's other people who it is time to move on. Lord, I pray that you would give them clarity and wisdom to know how and what to move through a situation and a circumstance like this, and that you would give them courage to move forward. But Lord, we pray that you would allow us to understand and live our lives to your glory, because you are worthy of our best, and you've invited us in to partner with you. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen.